0: Welcome to Bible Q&A, a a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto.
1: And I'm Cameron Howard.
0: And joining us today is Amy Marga, who teaches theology here at Luther Seminary. Thanks for joining us, Amy.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, Amy. Um, Mm -hmm. You have tackled a very difficult subject for us, so we appreciate your uh, willingness to do that. So what does the Bible have to say about sexuality and marriage? Um, In your essay, you've given us a wonderful survey of many different things that, the well, many different depictions of sexuality or sexual relationships in the Bible. Um, So I'm wondering if we start to think about the question, what does the Bible say about sexuality? Where exactly do we start?
2: Yeah, that's just a really big question. um, And there's a lot of different ways to answer it. But if you just open up the Bible and start reading it, what you're going to find is a very broad range of human sexual activity. And I think that comes as a surprise to a lot of Christians who have believed that the Bible gives a very specific kind of template for sexuality, which is um, a marriage in a marriage between a man and a woman that produces children and we do see that kind of form of sexuality in the Bible but we also see forms of marriage that are polygamous um, forms of marriage that use a slave woman to have children for example Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids and Sarah endorsed actually asked Abraham to go conceive children Mm -hmm. with her servant um we don't think Hagar was married in any kind of ceremony to Abraham. So it, that was just sexuality being used to produce children. So there's a wide range of forms of relationality between men and women in the Bible, as well as forms of marriage. And so it's hard for people today or Christians today to only rely on only rely on the Bible when thinking about what godly, God-pleasing sexual activity might be today.
0: Yeah, because there's all these different portraits, there's all these different events and both kind of ones in which uh, relationality and love are uplifted, some in which violence um, are, are, is uplifted, and the question then is you know, how do you hold all these different depictions together and can you, is there, is there a story or, a, or an idea or a theological conviction that weaves them all together, that holds them all together? Um, and I think that's the kind of question we want to pursue a little bit. What do you think about that? Is there, yeah, how do we hold all these things together? Or can we, right?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you can, but you can't do it by way of looking for one form of sex in the Bible. Like, you're just not going to find that. Right. And in fact, the Bible really is a description of the wide range of human phenomenon of sexual of sexual activity and sexuality So then the question is, well, you know, where's God in all of this? And um, is, you know, does the Bible make any kind of commentary, for example, on Abraham having extramarital sex? Well, not really. Um, And even the child that was conceived was loved by Abraham. Um, Granted, Sarah didn't like it so much in the end, but it was her choice in the beginning. (laughs) But the point is, where's God in all this? And so I would say that if there's one thing that holds, that gives us some way to think about God pleasing sexual activity today is the way God's been faithful to God's people um, throughout history and the way that God has wanted to treat people and which is as a covenant partner, as uh, a partner that's loved, as a partner whose needs are fulfilled, Um, and as a partner who has a future. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, I hate to say that the template is God, Mm -hmm. but on some level the template is the God-human relationship, right? God does not exploit humanity, and that is um, a a theological commitment that we can bring into human-human relations where we do not exploit one another because of what God's done Mm -hmm. for us.
1: And here I think it's really important to bring in, to acknowledge that there are troubling metaphors um, that use language. of sexuality that involve God's covenant relationship with Israel um, in the prophets, for example. So in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 16 and 23 in particular are quite graphic about um, violence meted out by God against the metaphorical partner there. And so when you're talking about God's covenant fidelity, you're not talking about that metaphorical language of God as the man, or God as the husband, I should say, and Israel as the wife, but rather a sort of broader theological category.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that those metaphors are just extremely troubling. And the only way that I, as a Christian theologian, can kind of reckon with them is to say that um, those kind of metaphors reflect the way authors understood human sexuality, um, which involves violence and exploitation. And it has involved violence and exploitation <clears throat> throughout human history. It's yeah,
0: nothing, nothing old anymore. It's something that's still with us.
2: It's some, Yeah, it's absolutely something, you know, ex- exploitation, sexual exploitation is not new in modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree with you, though, that that's a very problematic view of God. I still still tend to work backwards from Christ, you know, as a theologian Mm -hmm. and not a biblical scholar. And so I'd like to say that Christ, Jesus Christ's life, death and resurrection, all three of those events put together um, are the ways that God has shown as the epitome of God's love for us, um, that God wants to be faithful to us and does not want to exploit us and wants the best for us. But you're right. I mean, this, that's another sort of edge to the Bible that makes it extremely difficult to only look at the Bible when it comes to, um, figuring out how to lead godly lives as sexual beings.
0: Yeah, and I think bringing up the, the issue think, of violence, I think, is really vital, <clears throat> and that's that's always been with us. What I wonder if sometimes what maybe new is, that, and we talked about this before the podcast, is something you brought brought up, Amy, that maybe the ways in which bodies and especially sexualized bodies are commodified and and marketed today might be maybe on a different scale than before. So maybe that's another way that. The world, and it's not just that the Bible speaks in lots of different ways about sexuality and in a very different culture than ours, is that our culture has gone in directions that maybe the Bible never fathomed. Um, and that's sometimes has something to do with the re- disruption we see between our sense of sexuality and what the Bible speaks about.
2: You know, there were a lot of concubines, and those were basically sex slaves, mm-hmm. and they were young girls, but you're right in the sense that there was a certain kind of social expectation that if a man had concubines and sex slaves, he would take care of them. Mm-hmm. They would be fed, they would be part of a community, they would be able to gather with one another um, and have community together, even if they were still, mm-hmm. you, you know, basically in the marriage to have, to be a sexual partner to the to the patriarch. Um Today, you have a totally different kind of exploitation, like you said, based on market forces, right, that um, a young girl or a boy is used for money, and they're often kept in isolation, and they're yeah. often threatened. So that's a whole different kind yeah. of crime and use of sexuality today that um, that I think the Bible speaks very clearly against, even if, even in its weirder forms of polygamy and marriage. Well, I
0: think this is important, because some, I think sometimes when we think about the Bible and sexuality, our, our, our minds automatically go to... Um, Issues of marriage or issues of homosexuality or issues of extramarital affairs or things like that. And and we forget the kind of sexual crimes that happen in the background that most of us aren't all that aware of but are really shaking, uh, shaking our communities. So I think sometimes we have kind of a narrow myopic perspective on some of these questions. And I think so then the broader kind of context of of a faithful God is really helpful for us.
1: Yeah, you know, um, one story that comes to my mind is um, in Genesis 12, when Abraham and Sarah are are sojourning in Egypt, and um, Abraham passes off his wife, Sarah, as his sister, because he uh, is afraid that Pharaoh will kill him and take her into his harem. And we are often, you know, quick to judge Abraham, why is he going to do that? Um, But, I think that that really speaks to a, a modern question of sort of refugees and the, the danger of being an immigrant, of sojourning in a strange land, um, the ways that questions of sexual violence are connected with other um, kinds of refugee and immigrant issues. I mean, so that there are, even though, again, that's a very weird situation, um it does speak to, you know, very profoundly, I think, to the kind of fear and danger that these biblical characters felt and that people feel today.
0: And it sounds like then we have to kind of start with scripture and then also move out into the world in which we actually live. So at the end of your essay, Amy, you say that Christians must rely upon a broader base of moral resources to make godly decisions about sex. What are some of those, what's some of that broader base? Where? Where else do we need to look? Not as a substitute for the Bible, but as a way to kind of put that Bible into conversation, the Bible into conversation with other factors in the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there are... You know, if you look at the way people make moral decisions today, there's all kinds of grounds that they use. And one of them that I think is helpful for Christians to begin to think about is, you know, something that people have been calling like an ethic of care. And that sounds so obvious, but hmm. that's basically what it is. An ethic of care hmm. is a kind of ethic that um, is willing to break particular social rules or social norms in order to care for the person. Hmm. And I think in the case of Christian, in Christians, we do have to think about what does it mean to care for one Wanted, um, for another person's body? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to fulfill another person's sexual needs or needs for pleasure? What does it mean um, to have a person feel bonded to another person? And these are the kinds of questions that I think are fair game. We, The Bible is concerned about people's bodies too mm-hmm. and concerned about people being bonded together as well. And so we as Christians can look to different Ways that um, care is being given to one another in sexual, um, in, in, you know, when it comes to human sexual need and sexuality. And um, there's all kinds of thinkers who are working on this particular kind of ethic, and that's just one example of where we can go. And I think it's important, I say an ethic of care, and I want to contrast that to something like an ethic of natural law, which has really been what has governed human sexuality all these centuries, right, which is that you are in a monogamous relationship with a man or a woman and the woman produces a child and that was the natural law of human sexuality sex was good when it produced children the Israelites believe that and we still today believe that which is why people who have issues with infertility for Mm -hmm. example it's such a shameful thing Um, Mm -hmm. not for everybody but for some communities right it's because you are not able to sort of fulfill this morality of the natural law and so if you think about an ethic of care when it comes to human sexuality then sex becomes something that's as important important and as central in a person's identity as eating, drinking, Mm -hmm. um, you know. Anything else that involves
0: your body.
2: Yeah, or or just like, and and yourself as a whole person. Mm -hmm. And so that's one way to go, is to think about what would a Christian ethic of care based on the Bible look like Mm -hmm. when it comes to human sexuality? Mm I wanted to. I don't know if I can say this, but one more thing. Um, I want to go back to what Eric said about and what we were talking about with sexuality as a um, sex as a commodity and violence and things like that because it's a huge problem in today's day with especially young people. I do want to say though that I think the Bible does have something to say to couples in the intimate relationship, and you know we didn't go there too much, and people don't like to go there necessarily. But I think what you see is if you think about God as as a God who wants to be faithful to God's people and who loves us and wants the best for us, Um, that's the kind of sexual ethic marriages should have as well, Mm. right? I think there is exploitation going on in marriages, and frankly, the media exploits Mm. marital insecurity, Mm. right? So, I mean, you have all kinds of, you know, look at any magazine, any Vogue magazine, Right. right? And it's always how to get the best sex ever, right? What is that but exploitation of someone who might feel like they're not able to do that? And so the question then, I think Christians have something to say to married couples right and the only reason i bring it up is because a lot of my students are concerned about mm. their sex lives christians have something to say so i don't want to shy away from that but i think it's the same kind of template mm. right mm. that god loves you and wants the best for your body and for you and if you are a partner to somebody a sexual partner that ought to be your role as well yeah. so to think mm. about exploitation in that kind of way as well yeah. is something that i think the bible does speak to yeah yeah That's really helpful well, Thanks, Amy, so much for being here. Thank you for your time. And this is an important topic for Christians, and I hope that um, more people can have conversations about it.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.